Hello, and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of DeRitter, Louisiana, recorded at our 10 o'clock service on Sunday, March 26, 2017. Our text for the day comes from 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to me with the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. For those of us who started life in the analog age, getting used to life in the digital age takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and quite frankly, a lot of times we just don't want to do it. We know the way we grew up. We know it was good enough for us, and we're not going to change. Does that sound like anybody you know? Does that sound like you? Sound like me? It's not much fun at times. But sometimes technology is grand. And for those of us who grew up in a certain era, we have all these pictures we had. depends on who you are. I don't have any left because I pitched them all. But we may have these pictures from previous stages in life. We may have these pictures from people who are no longer part of our life. And I'm not talking about those we love that died. I'm talking about those that, for whatever reason, are no longer part of the picture. And I remember cleaning, cleaning out the house of a relative of mine, and I found a box in there, and there were all these half pictures. I figured out what was going on after about the fourth picture. That whenever someone broke up with a significant other, that picture got ripped in half. Well, you kept that picture, you kept the picture of you that looked great, 
And yet these pictures would be in half, and it would be weird because it was like there was an arm around your neck, but you had no idea where that hand came from. You're just looking at it, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? It's like, you know, what, what do you do here? And to, But today's kids don't have that problem. Because today's kids have something called Photoshop. How many of y'all are familiar with Photoshop? Photoshop is one of the greatest pieces of software humanity has ever given us. Because it allows us to add and to subtract people out of pictures at will. It allows us to take pictures that we don't like and touch them up. It also allows high schoolers to get in trouble by making graphics that get around the internet, but that's a whole different sermon that we're not going to get to here. But I've been thinking a lot about Photoshop, and I've been thinking about the generations that have pictures ripped in half, either in binders or in boxes, as we come to this passage today. For today, we continue our series of Lent, looking backward to move forward. And today is one of the more, I think, overlooked passages in all of Scripture. And the reason I say it's overlooked is because a lot of times this passage that Joe read for us so eloquently is used as a history lesson. And it's used in such a way to help us understand how King David came to the throne. David, the one that wrote the Psalms. David, the one about whom it is said, God, he was a man after God's own heart. But yet when we try to use this passage and apply it to today, we dismiss it. I was talking with someone a while back, and I was talking about the most unlikely of people. And I said, like King David, and this person looked at me and said, Lamar, that story's not relevant for us today. For that story is about a long time ago and about a guy who's been dead over 2,000 years. And I wanted to say, uh, not so fast, my friend, for the story of David's selection. It's not a story about David at all. The story that we heard today is about God. And the reason why this story is in our text today is not first and foremost because it is a history lesson. But it's to remind us all that what we think God can use may in fact be selling God short. Because we have our preconceived notions of how God can operate. First thing we learn from this passage is that God finds and selects the most unlikely of people to carry out divine work in and throughout the world. The reason why it's important to know the history of this story is because they lived in a primogeniture culture, which basically says the oldest son gets all the riches and everybody else gets hosed. Oh, Jacob Black, you smiled there, didn't you? That sounds pretty good. The oldest boy getting everything, right? Be careful what you ask for, Jacob, all right? Because here's the deal. You look at it like this. When you're asked in that culture to bring forth the very best, you're going to bring out your oldest son because that's what society tells you. It has nothing to do with whether or not the oldest son is capable. 
Is that frown disappear? Is that smile disappearing now, Jacob? Is that what's going on here? Now we're getting a little too close to home. But here's the thing. God wasn't looking for what society said was best. God wasn't looking through the lenses of society. But God found the most unlikely person, the youngest one, the one that was way out to the side, that wasn't part of the picture, that dad wasn't going to waste anybody's time on. God chooses the most unlikely of people to carry out divine work. The question you and I have to look at in this example, in this first point, is am I ever putting limits on what God can do through me? Is God putting any limits, or am I putting any limits on what God wants to accomplish in me because I think there's no way God could possibly use me? My friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God, the reason why we eavesdrop on this story is to remind us there's not a one of us who isn't, above, who isn't beyond God's call. No matter how unlikely we may think we are, no matter how unlikely the world may think we are, no matter how unlikely culture may say we are, God is finding the most unlikely of people. And you cannot Photoshop that reality out of the picture. But the second thing we hear is that to follow God's will, we must find a way to move forward from our current reality, no matter how hard it may be for us. We must find a way to move forward from our current reality, no matter how hard it may be for us. Because <coughs> after all, let's scroll down a little bit. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, in, bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Jesse had made up his mind that the operation was over. When Samuel said to him, This isn't, this isn't the one, he went through all the sons and then finally got to the last one. Luke, you're up. The youngest boy is the one that God used to bring about his kingdom. And here's the thing about that. In order for us to recognize what God is doing in our world and in our society and in our churches and in our families, we had better move beyond our current reality. It may take us fighting 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 1,000 years of preconceived notions. But following God's will means setting aside everything we may think is the way it ought to be done. Because when we allow ourselves to get boxed in, we miss what God can do next. And it's not easy. I can imagine the frustration on Jesse's face. It's amazing his name's Jesse, isn't it? 
this big discussion between the oldest and the youngest, and we're talking about Jesse. This is what you get for sitting on the front row, by the way. But you look at it like this. What limits are we putting on God? What limits are we putting on God's ability to do His restoring work if we do not think beyond ourselves? It's not going to be easy. I'm sure Jesse at this point is getting absolutely frustrated. I brought him the first six sons. They're all good men. Why isn't he using him? And then here comes David at the very end. What is keeping you and what is keeping us from realizing what God's trying to do? What is it that you're trying to Photoshop out of the picture so that you get exactly what you think is ideal? That's part of looking backward to move forward toward Easter because Easter forces us to move out of our preconceived notions and Easter forces us to realize that God plays a whole different game than we can imagine. That's part of why we look back at this story. As just as Jesse had to change his thinking, so you and I have to change our thinking if we're going to see the anointed one. But Jesse fell into another trap that you and I are guilty of either consciously or subconsciously, I would say pretty much constantly. And that is no matter how hard we may try, no matter how hard we may try, there is no hiding from the Lord anything. No matter how hard we may try, there is no hiding from the Lord anything, regardless of how bad it may be to us, for it all matters to the Lord. It all matters to the Lord. Jesse had in his mind he wasn't going to waste Samuel's time with David. Because who wants the runt? Who wants the one that is set aside? And yet Jesse was messing or trying to mess with God's plan. Part of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, part of the reason why Lent is so important, part of the reason why Holy Week is so important, because remember, if you show up on Palm Sunday and then don't come back till Easter Sunday, you'll have no idea what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday. Part of the discipline of Lent, part of journeying through Holy Week, the triumphal entry, the Monday Thursday, where we go back into the upper room with Christ for the Last Supper, we gather here at 6 o'clock on Friday night to remember what happened when Christ died on the cross. It's that through these events, we are called to lay out everything before God. Even that stuff that we want to remain hidden. For we have no idea how God is going to redeem what we have tried to bury. Jesse tried to bury David. And yet God wound up lifting David up. What is God trying to lift up in your life that you've been trying to bury for years because you think it doesn't matter? Quit trying to Photoshop it out of your life because God is at work. And what you think is unlikely, God's probably going to consider the most likely. And this gets to our fourth point. 
as we see. Rather than trying to control life and reaction to our fears, rather than trying to control life and reaction to our fears, we are to trust God to fill the true needs of our lives. Rather than trying to control life and reaction to our fears, we are to trust God to fill the true needs of our life. I must confess to you something I'm not proud of. It's a common affliction. It's found mostly in churches and among Christians. And I have found the more faithful we are to Christ and to His church, the more guilty we may be of this. And that is this issue of control. This issue of control of everything, because we have a predetermined concept of what the outcome should be. We do it in so many ways. We do it in so many styles. And we try to do it subtly. And yet the truth always wins out in the end. Rather than trying to control things, though, because we're afraid. For see, that's what control, this insatiable desire for control that we have over our lives, what that is, is it's a result of fear. And fear is not the work of God, but fear is the work of evil. For with God we have nothing to fear. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was half right when he said we have nothing to fear. The rest of the sentence should have been, we have nothing to fear because Christ died and rose again. We have nothing to fear because of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And it's hard for us because we want to control not only the outcome, but we want to control the input. And yet on Good Friday, when we walk in here and we confront the story of Good Friday, we're going to see Jesus say, you know, we're going to see the full humanity of Jesus. We're going to say, we're going to see him going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to go, Father, what, we're going to hear through those narratives on Thursday or Friday, Father, let this cup pass from me, but we're also going to see Christ in his dying moment saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. For at the end of the day, Jesus Christ showed us exactly the lesson that Jesse was missing. Christ said, into your hands I commend my spirit. My friends, what is it in your life that is needing to be lifted up into his spirits? What is it in our lives as a church that needs to be lifted up? We need to let go of the need of control. We need to trust that God is doing a new thing. Because here's the deal. Whether you ripped the pictures like the scorned teenagers of yesteryear, or whether you use Photoshop to creative edit, creatively edit. Human nature has not changed one bit. We try to edit rather than, and our challenge through this passage is rather than trying to edit life's outcomes, let us spend more time trusting in the redemptive power of the cross.
rather than try to Photoshop life to where death never happened. Let us bask in the resurrection. We see, when you go from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday without stopping in on Thursday and Friday, you have made the determination that you are photoshopping out all the ugliness. The ugliness of the Last Supper where Jesus told Judas, go do what you got to do. We're editing out the ugliness of them driving the nails into his hands and his feet, hanging him from the cross. We want just the joy, but we've got to have the ugly first. We've got to have the unlikely. We cannot Photoshop our way out of it. And just like Jesse learned, what we try to keep to the side, God is trying to lift up. So let us be people who lift all of our lives up, trusting in the redemptive power of the blood of Christ. And this, my friends, is the word that I share with you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father.